up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Trying Noons and Absolute Podcast. Um, I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is a very special guest, uh, Robert Reinhardt from Blogger So Dear. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing pretty well over here. Just getting uh, excited for the season. I know for you guys, it comes a little bit earlier than most. Yeah, we got the Thursday start. Definitely ideal. I know I will doing my best to tune in from Canada, where I will be on vacation. But that said, um, still, I mean, college football in general is just such an exciting time for for any team in any conference in any country, <laughs> at least in my book. Um, I guess that brings us to Wake Forest. And you guys have a lot going on this year. So I guess why don't you just start with, you know, how things have gone this off season, how you see things going kind of for the at least beginning of this season. I know there's a again, just a ton going on um with with the Demon Deacons right now. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty crazy last last nine months. Jim Grove resigned in, in early December and uh within a week or so we hired Dave Clawson out of Bowling Green who won the the, the Mac championship and then it was a sort of six-week sprint at the end of recruiting season, the 2014 recruiting season. We ended that pretty well. Uh, flipped a number of commitments of, of kids who were committed to Louisville and, and Vanderbilt and things like that. So it's um, that's certainly good. And then spring practice, um, a lot of energy at, at the spring game. And then fall practice, we've, we've been getting better. So it's it's been a lot of new things. And then within the past in a few weeks, we we, were, we named a true freshman, John Wolford, as our starting quarterback. And just within the past week or so, we named true center, Elite Carey, as our starting center. So the center quarterback exchange, brand new, brand new head coach, and offensive and defensive coordinator. So a lot of new and exciting things for the Demon Deacons this season. No, that's awesome. You know, I, I, think, I think a lot of people are kind of, uh, I guess, you know, not really jumping in on uh, on, on the weight bandwagon right away. Uh, do you think that's understandable? Um, I, I know, like I said, it's a ton of change. There's a lot of, you know, four-year starters out the door, uh, Nikita Whitlock, uh, Campanaro, Tanner Price, guys like that who really just just contributed so, so much to that program and obviously Grove. Um, do you think between, you know, the, the big upheaval and then also uh, Jim Grove's recent comments about um, – you know, wishing he had kind of gone out to Nebraska. Do, do you think that's all kind of contributing to a lot of, you know, negative feedback and, and negative sentiment uh, before the season starts, at least outside the program? Yeah, I think outside the the program, and, and you know, I can't, I can't say I blame the people for thinking this way, even being inside the program. This is sort of what I was thinking. I was thinking you talk about going 4-8 and eight last season, and this was with a number of, Senior starters, a four-year starting quarterback, Josh Harris, 
uh, a four-year running back for us, Michael Campanero, the school's all-time leader in receptions, and Nikita Whitlock, a very good nose tackle. He was undersized, but he was still uh, first-team All-ACC last year. So you look at that and you say, well, we're we're placing a home game with Maryland with a road trip to Louisville. You look at Clemson and Florida State still in our conference, and you say, well, uh, first-year head coach, going to be the quarterback, who's going to be anything? And you say, well, this could be a really ugly season for the Demon Deacons. And that's what I thought, and it still could very well happen. Uh, but this team has gotten a lot better since since the spring, and honestly, even since since the beginning of, of fall practice, we look a lot more cohesive on offense. Now, that's not to say other teams aren't aren't getting better at the same time, but uh, I'm I'm more optimistic than I was just just several weeks ago. And you know, we we may go three and nine, four and eight. We may go two and ten. We may go winless in the ACC. I I, I wouldn't eliminate that, but uh, I think we will get better every week. And I I think this year we will look um, we will look better coached than we have in years past. I mean that's that, that's to me is encouraging to hear. I know in some way it will worrisome for for those of us who are headed down to Winston Salem uh, this season. But at the same time, um, I I wouldn't even say that the team Syracuse faced. Uh, off the carrier dome was really, you know, fully representative of, of what Wake uh, could do, especially once Campanaro, uh, you know, found himself out for the game. Um, I, I guess honing in a little bit more on, on Jim Grove's comments, what does that, as fans, what does that tell you guys um, with him kind of adding that, that, that note, you know, well after the fact, well after he'd already resigned, well after, you know, it was a non-starter, um, for him to leave Nebraska, did it did it make people kind of glad that he had, he decided to call it quits on his own terms? Uh, it, was it was it reopening a wound? Um, I, I know Syracuse we, we kind of dealt with um, you know Doug Marone's departure um, about eighteen months or well, eighteen to twenty months ago, and, and I know it was rough for us. And that was a guy who was only there for for you know four years. Never mind somebody who was there well, not three years, but. Never mind someone who was there, you know, for as long as Grove was at Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Grove's comments, they, they certainly come off as sour grapes, and, and a lot of Wake fans are, are thrilled for the 13 years he gave us, the ACC championship he gave us. But uh, if, if you look at his tenure, you know, he had a really good stretch from, from 06 to 08, three consecutive bowl games. But then over his past five seasons, he did not. Uh, we did not have a team that finished above 500. One, one team, uh, 2011, we did make a bowl game, but we went we went six and seven. Although that team came within really blowing a major lead at Clemson to from going to the ACC championship game. So I, I would still call that season a success. But I mean, obviously, we were on a downward trajectory. Um, as as we mentioned, a senior team last year. Didn't get it done each of the last two seasons. The last two teams should have should have made bowl games, but they did not get the job done. And and with regards to Jim Grode's comments, I think you know a lot of fans have respect. A lot of Wake fans have respect for him. But uh, to me, me personally at least, and I think uh, most other Wake fans would agree, we are losing some respect for for Jim Grove and some of these comments. You know, nobody forced forced him to stay at Wake Forest. I don't think anybody in the world would have blamed him. Had after that Orange Bowl season, he would have gone to Nebraska or Arkansas or wherever he had offers. Um, 
you know, n- nobody nobody had a gun to his head. He was he was paid handsomely. He was paid about two point two something million dollars a year, and he was given a ten year contract. Um, you know, he said, "Well, we didn't make the commitment to facilities. We, we had certainly upgraded facilities, and if he thought we were going to be able to make the same commitment to facilities as." in Nebraska or in Arkansas, I, I don't know what he could have possibly expected. Um, and, and Wake still, I believe they came in 58th or something in, in football spending, which was right near Oklahoma State, West Virginia, I mean, some other respectable programs. So uh, to me, it's just you need, he needed to look himself in the mirror and say, I did not get the most out of my, out of my talent um, because he certainly did not do that. Um, maybe recruiting was hurt. But he did not get the most out of the talent that we had on the roster, and, and that's what a coach's job is. I think that's very well put, you know. Um, and I think in many cases, they've been bringing up a lot of, of things. I mean, this offseason, obviously, it's long, so there's, there's lots of time to kind of pontificate about, about off-the-field matters. But I think one thing everyone's kind of looking at is, uh, is unions, and and kind of in general, you know, with, with the increasing cost of, of running a college football program, you know, how how smaller private schools can really continue to uh, continue to thrive, continue to excel. Um, and I mean, it's not that there's there's a ton of them. Um, I, and I think a lot of those conversations will also right off the bat um, remove Notre Dame, TCU, USC, and Miami, leaving like a very small collection of us as kind of, you know, the schools to examine. Um, I mean, realistically, based on uh, what we've seen, I mean, recent ruling, you know, the abandoned ruling in particular, um, do you think that schools like Syracuse and Wake are going to end up being squeezed by this increased cost and eventually just kind of relegated to, to a lower tier within the Power Five conferences because of just the spending that, that is required and, and and could be at some point, you know, completely permissible in, in what may develop into a free market um, system for, for these power schools. Yeah, that, that's a good question. That that ruling is obviously um, going to completely change the landscape of college sports. I don't think I'm breaking news when I make that statement. And, and Wake Forest is the smallest, um, now power five, will no longer BCS school. So that that's, you know that's going to be a difficult thing to do in, in terms of competing, but I I think and and Coach Clawson has said this, and you know we'll see. He, he hasn't coached a game, but uh, he he has had some recruiting um, successes. In that, you know, if you're looking at a a small a smaller school or you know a a a good school, you know Syracuse awake, uh, maybe they don't have the big time football dollars than in Alabama does. They certainly don't do that. But you've you got to look at what you do well. And, and schools like Syracuse and Wake and, and Northwestern and Duke, um, they, they can offer excellent education. So that, that's a, that's an advantage you have. And to me, you have to play your strengths and know you're not going to get everybody. Uh, you, you're not necessarily going to get the guy who runs uh, the 4-3 and, and has the, the incredible measurables and, and, and things like that. But you can get a lot of really good players who 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 value education and, and you're giving them an opportunity to still play on a a major stage so uh it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out uh, i definitely think football 
uh, will be the sport where you see the biggest biggest discrepancies with with 85 scholarships that you have to support and the cost of the scholarship um, rising rising nationally, especially among among private schools. I think you know basketball, a, a sport with uh, 13 scholarships. It, I think smaller schools will be better able to compete on a national stage in addition to the three-point line being another reason for that. But um, it, it, it will certainly be interesting to see. Um, I, I could see that one going either way. I think you brought up another good point there about, you know, kids and academics. Um, and Bud Elliott and a couple other people brought this up um, right after the Notre Dame um, investigation kind of started um, a couple weeks ago. Do you think um, in cases where SU and BC and Northwestern are, are competing for recruits against Notre Dame, this now, do you think this provides a bargaining chip or do you just not endorse, you know, sort of quote-unquote dirty tactics in recruiting at all? I mean, I would have to think that, that you know, something like that at Notre Dame, which would pride itself uh, rightly or wrongly on um, sort, sort of, you know, a, a different honor code than, than the rest of us, I would think that that sort of, you know, helps remove at least some of the, the, the recruiting mystique that the Brian Kelly can kind of toss around. Yeah, you know, you know, it's tough. And, you know, uh, I sort of disagreed a little bit with, with, with Bud. You know, he was talking about, well, it's, it's unfortunate that some of those kids don't have the option to go to a minor league system like, like in baseball and things like that. And, you know, and I, I agree with him, but I, I think the responsibility really is on the, the coaching staff to to evaluate these kids and look, these kids aren't necessarily the same caliber of kids uh, of students, I should say, uh, who are getting into these schools based on their their academic merit with their, their SAT scores and their GPA and other ex, extracurriculars and things like that. I mean, th- these these coaches need to honestly evaluate these kids and, and really sit down and say, can this guy cut it? Um, and that's something Notre Dame has to do. They, that's something Notre Dame should have done a much better job of. And, and honestly, somebody who has the recruiting power of Notre Dame who can get, I don't want to say they can get any kid they want, but they are a national brand, a national power, uh, they can be selective with recruiting. And to me, that's a recruiting failure um, to take on some kids who may be a slightly better athlete if you know they can't cut it in a classroom, and you know it can come back to haunt you, and it clearly has come back to haunt them now. Um, to me, that's just uh, poor evaluation on Brian Kelly and his staff's part. Yeah, I think that that's the big thing here is that, um, again, you know, the, the kind of national brand that they've cultivated um, and have been able to maintain for, you know, at this point, nearly 100 years, um, since they since they became more than just you know another school in the Midwest that played football. Um, speaking of recruiting, I mean, how do you feel that the things are going for Wake um, since since Clawson uh, kind of came in the door? I know things at times stagnated under Grove, especially recently. But I know you guys had just this kind of unique ability to uh, to get these undercover kids in Florida um, in particular. Uh, with North Carolina and Virginia really rising in recruiting rankings, it seems, every year um, from a state-by-state standpoint, do you see the team maybe uh, you know, trying to get more local kids again, or do you think that, that, that they've kind of chalked it up to, okay, like, we'll get the Carolina kids we can, we'll get the Virginia kids we can, but for the most part, 
we're going to continue scouting really well um, in these, these atypical states. And I know it's something that, that Syracuse has also done fairly well um, in the last year or two, is just really getting into into those markets, especially in South Florida, and, and finding these kids that, that aren't getting the, the star ratings and aren't getting the offers, but end up actually turning up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you have to continue to recruit Florida, especially South Florida, just <clears throat> excuse me, simply because of the you know in, incredible amount of talent that that is down there, and, and as you said, even the kids who don't get uh, the four-star rankings, who don't have the offers for Miami and Florida State and, and Florida, there are still a number of really high-caliber three stars who who you can really win with uh, down there. So. I think we're going to continue to do that. One thing I have noticed is we've started to recruit South Carolina a little bit more. We have some kids out of South Carolina uh, committed for our 2015 recruiting class, and we do have more kids committed um, from North Carolina for this class. And it seems nationally there is a trend of kids committing earlier and earlier. And what's so difficult is, you cannot get a kid to come on an official visit and, and pay for that kid's trip to come for a weekend and, and stay at your school uh, until he's a senior. Uh, his, I guess, senior year begins in the fall. So with kids coming in, in the summer earlier and earlier, um, it, a hard part about recruiting Florida, if you're awake, and especially if you're a Syracuse up in New York, is it's difficult for those kids to afford or even have time to to fly or make a very long drive from from Miami up up to New York or even North Carolina to to visit for um a day or a few days um so it, if if they don't change if the NCAA doesn't allow kids to take official visits earlier then um I think you're going to have to go to a little bit more local recruiting um so it We'll, we'll see how that works out, but our, our recruiting has definitely gotten better. We're in the we're ranked in the 30s now, according to the 247's composite ratings. And obviously, um, football recruiting is subject to change up until the second their signature is on the dotted line. We, I mean, we know how dirty uh, college football recruiting is, and uh, you know you got the hat tickers on on national signing day. So uh, we we will see. I mean, I. I expect some schools to pass us, but if we can finish in the top 40 or top 50 of uh, our recruiting, then that will be one of the best finishes we've had, at least on paper, um, probably ever. So we are definitely on the right track with regards to recruiting. So I guess changing gears uh, slightly, um, as far as Syracuse goes, I know you know our, our athletic programs didn't necessarily give each other a ton. Um, I guess in their histories, really, before us joining the ACC. Uh, first impressions, football, basketball, otherwise, anything you guys liked about us, didn't like about us? Um, you know, Bayheim's a character. Um, you know, obviously, I, I'm definitely impressed with your lacrosse program. Wake doesn't have lacrosse. Um, but it, you guys are definitely, a, obviously, you have a premier basketball program, and uh, the program's better than Wakes historically for sure, although, you know, this is, you know, not been a good past four years for Wake Forest basketball, but when we were better, I mean, I'd be much more excited about um, Syracuse coming to visit us, but I, I went to the Wake-Syracuse 
basketball game last year, and you guys brought a ton of fans. I mean, I was I was incredibly impressed with how many fans you guys brought, and you know, is seeing uh, some of your classic games against Duke. I mean, I, I'm always down for more more fan bases to hate Duke, so I, I'm I'm glad you guys are on board with that. I, I think I think it's a good addition. I know we talk about this ACC footprint of, of New York and things like that, but um, it's a good school and it's really good all around athletics. I, th- I think it's a a good a good addition to the conference. Yeah, I think the all around athletics thing is really what uh, what what's been interesting for for Syracuse fans because obviously you know with all this realignment stuff, all you heard was oh football, 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 and then. When Syracuse was invited, people were like, well, that's weird because our football program at the time is really, you know, I mean, the last decade hasn't been great, but, but we've definitely been on, on the upswing. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that, that the, the big deal for us is, is what our athletic director, Gal Gross, has really done, um, has really done for our Olympic sports. Um, I think, you know, when he arrived, we were really – it was it was football, it was basketball, and it was lacrosse. Um, and, and now you're seeing that the softball team in recent years has made the the uh, college world series. Uh, I know women's lacrosse is now one of the top two or three programs in the country. Um, field hockey is is nationally ranked. The cross country team is nationally ranked. So I think for us, this is kind of you know heading to a much more prominent. I mean, obviously, football and basketball are the most important here, but. Heading to a much more prominent, um, you know, all-sports conference, I, I think, is a really underrated um, part of it all. And and I, and I think, despite the what appears to be, you know, a, a real regional gap, at the same time, um, I think there's a lot of universities, Duke, Wake, in particular, um, as well as BC, uh, that really fit with with who we are um, as a university. And, and by extension, you know, who we are athletically. And I, I for one, I was always a big fan of the move. Um, and I feel like, you know, in year one, um, that was completely solidified, um, at least from my point of view. I know it seemed like a lot of people were, were surprised by us traveling uh, as much as we did. And I, I can promise you we do have quite a, uh, quite a large group coming down to uh, – to Winston-Salem in October, I know myself included, for, uh, for some good Southern football, food, beer, the whole deal. Oh, well, we'll have a we'll have a big old tailgate down there. It'll be it it should be a good time. We typically get stuck with noon games, <clears throat> unfortunately, but but that's okay. Just a little bit earlier start to a good a good time. Yeah, and I mean you never know. We might end up getting pushed. I know last year we were thinking noon start for uh, the Maryland game, and that one luckily got pushed to 3:30. I mean, not a given, obviously, but no matter what, should be should be a fun weekend. I know um, I personally uh, had considered Wake for undergrad, so I do love the campus and the whole surrounding Winston-Salem area. So it'll be nice to to go back since I haven't been there now since like 2004, so it's been like a decade. That's a good time. Hey, Winston's grown a lot. Um, you know, I started school in 2008, and it's grown a lot even since then. So um, I, I think you'll like it this time around. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to quite a bit of food and especially beer, which I guess brings us to almost kind of halftime around here. And uh, for those who listen and for the maybe newer Wake Forest listeners who don't, 
around half time here at the blog. We uh, well, on the podcast in particular, we talk about beer, things we've been drinking okay. lately. Uh, also, kind of extends to, to other types of alcohol, though. If for some reason, I know in the past we've spoken to several different bourbon drinkers around the uh, the ACC, so we don't discriminate based on uh, alcohol preference. Okay, you want me to give a beer recommendation? Sure, go for it. Or give several, whatever you got. Um, my my main recommendation. This this is my go-to, but uh, when you're in North Carolina, uh, you have to get you have to get Red Oak. It's it's absolutely delicious. Um, it's it's brewery is about uh, 45 minutes outside of Winston Salem, and it's it's spectacular. So, I uh, highly recommend that. I'm gonna check that out. What, what is your uh, what are your general concern, uh, I guess opinion on on Natty Green? Because I've heard a lot of very very good things, but I have not been yet. But plan to uh, when I get down there. Yeah, you know Natty Green's Natty Green's not bad. Um, Buckshot by the the same brewer um, is isn't bad. So that, that's that's more in Greensboro, but they they certainly still sell that around Winston. Um, so I, th- I think that's good. Foothills is a brewery in Winston-Salem. I like the, the People's Porter. Um, not everybody likes darker beer, but I, I happen to think it's it's not bad. So that that's another recommendation. But, yeah, Nat- Natty Green certainly can't go wrong with that. All right. I will definitely keep those in mind. Um, unfortunately, because I'm not in New York, um, <laughs> I can't necessarily give local New York recommendations. I mean, I remember some of the beers I drank there and do drink when I go back. But uh, I can give local beer recommendations from here in Santa Monica, California. A um, couple things I've been drinking lately. Um, and this shouldn't be much of a surprise to most of our regular listeners. Um, had a dance guy from the uh, the brewery. It's a uh, a blonde ale, uh, aged in some uh, oak barrels with uh, cherry. So very interesting beer there. Um, We'll also highly recommend uh, Grapefruit Sculpin, but that's a Southern California-only release at the moment, at least from Ballast Point. For those who uh, enjoy Sculpin IPA, you'll definitely love this one. Um, and I'd also toss out a recommendation for uh, Almanac's uh, Golden Gate Ghost. That is a, a bit of a sour, but um, for those in the in the California area, you'll be able to, to locate that one. It's, it's nice and affordable. It's, it's a refreshing beer. I'm a big fan, so I would, I would say go check that out if you can. Yeah, that's beer. Um, so I guess leaving off the field, uh, I know we we talked a bunch about off the field stuff, but but on the field, um, you know, how how do you see this this Wake offense running? You know, do you really think that Wolford is the answer? I know, you know, on kind of the spring depth chart. Um, he wasn't necessarily considered the guy uh, that was going to take over this job. I know at one point it looked like uh, either Kevin Souza or Tyler Cameron. So, you know, what's impressed you about Walford so far, and what do you think uh, he's going to be able to do in starting job? Um, you know, I'm I was, I'm pretty high on Wolford. I was, I was pretty high on him coming out of high school. Uh, he, he broke a bunch of Tim, Tim Tebow's uh, records in, in Florida. <laughs> and... Um, uh, you know, passion records, total touchdown records, and um, you know he, he did enough to win the job as a true freshman. 
Uh, he, he's been at Wake for, for both summer school sessions as well as, obviously, all of fall camp. And, and having gone to a number of practices, um, I'm, I'm really impressed with his, his poise, his decision-making. Um, he, he definitely buys time in the pocket. Now, he is a little small. He's listed at 6'1". He's probably about 5'11", I would say. Um, so occasionally you will see some balls get batted down around the line of scrimmage. Uh, I've seen that happen a number of times. But he, he's accurate, and um, you know I, th- I think he is mature and has a high IQ for for his age. So I mean, honestly, in, in looking at looking at the quarterbacks and watching them go through drills and watching them, um, you know, run run the offense, he was. To me, he was pretty much head and shoulders better than everyone else, and that's not even taking into account age. So I, I definitely think he has a good future. He, he will take his lumps this year from time to time. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I, I think he will be good moving forward, and I, you know, I expect him to have a pretty good true freshman campaign. Nice. Any, uh, any statistical predictions, perhaps, or, or we're just going to have to wait and see. I, I I think we'll have to wait and see. Um, tough tough to say statistical predictions, but um, I'll say he throws for two thousand yards. I guess that's not that impressive with with uh, twelve twelve games, but um, and maybe that's low. Maybe I'll I'll go up to twenty five hundred. I guess he'll throw for twenty five hundred yards this year. All right. Um. I guess moving down uh, kind of the rest of the offensive players, uh, running back's been a bit of a mess uh, in recent years. I know Josh Harris never really lived up to what he was supposed to be. Um, so, you know, who, who's the answer this year? Um, is there an answer? Is this going to be a running back by committee? Uh, do you guys see, you know, the running game finding its legs after what seemed like a couple seasons of, of just kind of, of just not really catching on? Yeah, I think the running game will be better this year. Although, you know that that's not saying a whole lot. So sometimes we just abandon the run. And last year we even decided to start the season with an option offense, which, uh, well, I have to question that decision. But I I would say Oracle Reynolds right now is a he's a senior. He's he's got the starting job. I think he'll have a decent season. Um, and, and in addition to carries, I think we will utilize him in the short passing game. Um, he did play some receiver for us last year, but it really is going to be a, a running back by committee. There's a, uh, a fullback, Jordan Garside, will play some tailback for us. Des Wortham, a redshirt freshman, will play some back for us. And then two true freshmen, Isaiah Robinson and Tyler Henderson, will get some carries. So, uh, and then we have Dominique Gibson, who, who's suspended for the first three games, but uh, he might, he, even he might get some carries uh, over the second half of the season. So it's, it's horrible Reynolds has the job, but I, th- I think we'll rotate a lot of bodies in there. Sorry about that. Just muted. Uh, oh, you're fine. Uh, so I know at receiver, uh, you know, without Michael Campanaro, yeah. Uh, things looked a little rough last year, and, and obviously you had to kind of start from scratch uh, here in 2014. 
Um, is there anyone in particular that's kind of flying under the radar or a guy that you really see as, as a breakout player? Um, I, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. We Michael Campanero is a loss. I mean, the, he, he got hurt against you guys, and we simply had no answer. And, um, well, that allowed us to score all of zero points against you guys on the carrier dome last year. Um, you know, we we have EJ Scott, who um, he played for Virginia the last few seasons, and he, he graduated, and and he's a graduate transfer to Wake Forest. I think he'll he'll sort of play the Campanero role, although not as exaggerated. Our offense will definitely be far more balanced this season instead of relying simply upon one man to to get the job done. I also think we'll utilize our tight ends a little bit more. Uh, Cam Serenay, a, a redshirt freshman, decent pass catcher, and uh, Devin Pike, a true freshman, um, a, a big body who, who has some, some hands. So I, th- I think we'll utilize them. And then on the outside, uh, we have Matt James and, and Jared Crump. I think Crump could have have an okay season. So, and, and Matt James, redshirt senior, really hasn't done much in his career, eight career catches. So, uh, But he's... You know, by all accounts, he's had a, a very good off season and came back in, in very good shape. So uh, we can at least expect more out of Well, we can hope to expect more out of him than what he's produced. So uh, receiver, you're not going to see any, you know, explosive playmakers who make people miss in space. It's pretty much a lot of uh, possession receivers. So I think we'll utilize a short passing game and uh, but E.J. Scott would be the one I would highlight as a breakout candidate. I think that makes a lot of sense. I know, you know, like you mentioned, Scott kind of fell off of Virginia, and it's, it's nice to see a kid like that kind of, you know, get himself a landing spot, um, especially if it's in the same conference. Uh, you know, the coaches saw enough out of him to really keep that faith. Um, and we talked about the running game being a bit of an issue, but I'd be remiss to, you know, to avoid um, pointing to the offensive line as, as part of that that issue over the last few years. But looking down the depth chart, it seems like you guys do have um, a ton of youth, but you also have what, what looks like a ton of size. Um, how have you guys been able to, to get a lot of these, you know, six five, six six um, guys in the door? I know personally, I mean, whether it's whether it's a recruiting preference of our staff or what have you, we, we've Syracuse-wise, we've definitely been going more towards uh, smaller guys, but it seems like uh, Wake definitely has a lot of uh, very tall um, offensive line options. Yeah, and, you know, before we, we had a problem of we couldn't make up our minds, so we'd have some some people who were, you know, shorter and faster, um, and obviously weight less, and some guys who were kind of tall. I mean, some, uh, you know, some of our height is, is misleading. You know, we have uh, like a 6'8", 6'8 player, uh, Taylor Chambers, she's probably not expected to play too much. So some of them are a, a little stiff and not as agile. So some of the times, I mean, almost to a fault, will recruit height instead of maybe you'd wish they'd, she could get a slightly better athlete who would give them a better chance to block a defensive end. Um, maybe you wish they'd be a few inches shorter. But, uh, you know, we've started to recruit the offensive line better, um, at least at some points. I mean, Corey Helms, Started 11 games last year at center. Did not start his final game because of uh, you know a senior night. Um, but he's going to move to left guard um, because true freshman Elite Terry uh, will come in. Uh, he's rated the number nine center in the in the class by ESPN. 
So we, we'll see how that works out. Um, you know, he's, he's a true freshman on the offensive line. So that that's going to be a big task. And then, um, you know, Josh Harris, uh, another Josh Harris. We also had yet another Josh Harris who was, who was a walk-on at, at secondary. So it was a very common name on our team last season. Um, he, he will be holding down the, uh, the right guard spot, Antonio Ford. Um, I'm not sure how tall he is off the top of my head, maybe 6'3 or so. Um, he'll be a left tackle, and then Dylan Inman uh, will, will be at right tackle. So there, we should have a, a decent offensive line. We're starting to recruit offensive line better, um, and it has a pretty good foundation. Um, we'll return everybody back next year, but Antonio Ford. So it should be an improved offensive line, and hopefully, as you said, that will help the run game and help protect a true freshman quarterback. But um, I wouldn't say that's our strongest unit, but it's becoming less of a liability. Well, that's, I mean, that's very encouraging, at least from my point of view. I know, um, you know, O-line is, is really such a big deal, especially in a conference that this year um, – Seems like it's gone through a lot of turnover with quarterbacks, uh, and it's probably going to rely on uh, on the running game across the board uh, more than we've seen in recent years, which is you know, a very pass happy league. Um, it's a nice segue toward the uh, defensive line. Um, I know initially uh, Wake had kind of had had run a three four um, mostly out of necessity, uh, but that also allowed guys like Nikita Whitlock to really, you know, make an impact um, and show what they can do when they may not have had much of a chance to um, in a 4-3. And now that you guys have switched to a 4-3, do you think you're a couple years away from getting the athletes in the door um, to run that team properly? Um, I know right now defensive line um, isn't necessarily a depth position. Uh, so do you think this is a couple years uh, – in the making versus, like, something that's going to make an impact right now? Uh, I think our defense will still be very good this year, um, and mostly that that, um, that comes from our secondary. Uh, we're technically running a 4-2-5, although our rover is played played linebacker last year, so you could um, you could definitely say it's a, a, a fourth, at least a 4-3, but um, definitely a change from last year's 3-4. So we will have four down linemen, although one of them uh, will be a, a drop. So um, he's, he can sort of play a defensive end, linebacker, hybrid. Um, but you're right. I mean, we, we don't have, you know, if you look at Clemson, they have some freak defensive ends. They always seem to. Vic Beasley would be this year's example. Um, we, we don't have anybody freakish like that. And, yeah, if you have a couple of really excellent edge rushers, um, that'd be fantastic, um, and we're we're going to try and re- recruit those. Um, but we will see. But uh, what we lack in in size on the defensive line, we we will make up for a little bit with speed. So I think our defense this year overall and, and our defensive line will have more overall team team and unit speed. So we can at least use that to our advantage. But um, you know, it's it's difficult to replace Nikita Whitlock, although I think Tyler Harris uh, should have a pretty good season for us. Uh, he slimmed down a little bit, which is which is a good thing. He's he's more explosive, so I think he'll have a good season. And Zach Allen, um, 
will play defensive end, sort of linebacker drop force, and I think he could have a good season on the edge. He lacks prototypical size of a defensive end, but uh, he should be faster than most defensive ends. So uh, it it will be a unit that I guess will surprise some people. I mean, we're replacing every every starter from last year's 3-4, so I guess expectations are low. So I would say we would will exceed expectations, but uh, we do not have the physical freaks as, as you are describing. So I guess uh, staying in that general area, because I think it's worth talking about them for a little bit, um, you know, a lot of us were kind of wondering what, what the big deal was with Nikita Whitlock before the game last year. I think we saw... Um, the solid player was incredibly dynamic. I guess how would you how would you stack up Whitlock in terms of all time weight defenders and maybe how he matched up um, with a player like Aaron Donald who who drew some comparisons um, at the defensive tackle spot um, over at Pitt last year. Yeah, well, I mean Aaron Donald was <laughs> exceptional for first round pick. Um, Nikita Whitlock's basically a smaller version of of Aaron Donald, and uh, Nikita is just. Um, you know, I guess pound for pound, <laughs> one of the best. Def- I mean, he was five ten, two fifty. Um, not exactly prototypical size for a nose tackle, but I mean, he was he was tenacious. Um, he he never gave up, and he was he was he was fantastic. Um, and, and really, I mean, the stat sheet doesn't um doesn't do Nikita Whitlock justice and I know that's a cliche but I mean just just watch the film and I mean he just blows he blows guys up and completely will um take a take a play apart and break a play down single handedly. Um and that's when they know when they know he's coming. With regards to the best weight defenders ever, uh I I mean I don't He's kind of been an NFL bust, but Aaron Curry did win the Buckets Award in, in 2008. So I think he's certainly a candidate. Alfonso Smith, sort of another NFL NFL bust, um, but he um, he was an outstanding cornerback for us. So, I, you know, and that's just recent memory. But, um, I mean, Nikita Whitlock is definitely up there as one of the best defensive players um, in school history. I think that's an excellent point you make. I guess that takes us to two more uh, potential better um, weight defenders, at least in, in recent vintages. Um, you know, Kevin Johnson and uh, and Bud Knoll really uh, really get to fly under the radar at Wake, and I think it's it's just been because of you know the the recent drop off when it comes to wins. Uh, but but I, I've said for a few years now that both of these guys are are incredibly underrated. I think Bud Knoll in particular, you know, really has a shot. Um, to be a legit NFL player. I mean, do you but do you see production past them? Do you think that this is going to be really a two-man group? I know for us in particular at SU, um, you know, we have Julian Wiggum and Darrell Eskridge who who really stand out um, in the secondary, but without help, you know, sometimes they get exposed. Um, do you see something similar happening with Johnson and Noel at corner, or or do you see them really being able to anchor what should be a, a Pretty good pass defense yet again. Yeah, I mean, I I think the whole unit's actually pretty good. Um, you know, I and thank you for for recognizing Bud and KJ. Uh, Todd McShay actually just ranked Kevin Johnson as his fifth best corner uh, for this uh, for the 2015 NFL draft. So he's certainly going 
under the radar. You would never think he's that caliber of a player. And, and Bud Noel, I think, was a freshman All-American. And I think he's going to have a, a bounce-back season. I, I really expect good things. They have about 60 career combined stars between the two. It's it's a, it's an outstanding duo. And, you know, they, they have all Ryan Jandy on uh, a safety. Uh, he'll be a redshirt sophomore. He was an all, honorable mention uh, freshman All-American last year. Had about 90 tackles or so, which is yeah, I can only say but so much about the front four, I guess. But uh, he's a good player for us. And then we also have a senior starter in Anthony Wooden Jr. who who transferred from from Air Force, but he started, you know, probably 15 career games. And then uh, back, backing up also as part of that unit, Thomas Brown, uh, he'll be a true sophomore. Made uh, some big plays last year. Had a fumble return for a touchdown against Duke. So I I, I expect it to be an excellent unit led by led by Bud and KJ. Um, but if if they do get beat, they should have some help behind them. Nice. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I mean, I, I've always, since I started watching Bud, um, I've really, I really like the way he plays the corner position. I think it's going to be, I mean, I think he, I think overall, Wake's um, secondary did shut down Syracuse's passing game. Granted, I'd say our passing game was not necessarily um, at, at its best uh, at that point in the season to begin with, but I do think that the Wake did a nice job um, there, and I am looking forward to seeing this group in person because uh, I mean, Bud definitely been somebody, and, and KJ as well, two guys who I've really liked how they played the game over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, Bud, Bud plays with a, tr- a tremendous amount of energy, and he's uh, he's intense and he's tough, um, and he's, he's he's neat to watch. Uh, in, in person, uh, I'm definitely going to miss him uh, once once he leaves Wake. And so I guess getting into, um, I always hate talking about special teams. If there's anything you want to talk about special teams, it's fine. Otherwise, we can kind of, you know, toss around the possibilities and and, and opponents when it comes to, you know, just like how the schedule shapes up. Uh, the, the only brief thing I'll say is um, Mike Weaver, he's a retro freshman. He was named uh, our team's starting kicker tonight, a place kicker, and then uh, Adam Center's true freshman. Uh, he's named the kickoff specialist. So last year's starting kicker, Chad Hedlund, um, is sort of left without a job, at least uh, for now. So that's – and Alex Alex Kennel, Connor, is on pace tell you about our offensive success over the last two years. He's on pace to break the NCAA record uh, for total punts. So that's all I will say about our, our special teams. <laughs> hey, we, uh, we, we have a very, very big appreciation for punters at Syracuse, so no judgment from us. Um, moving on to the schedule. Um, you guys actually play a pretty interesting slate, and and. and you can tell me if I'm wrong here. I just think it, it sets up – I mean, usually you'd have that Gardner-Webb game to open. You'd rarely be, be on the road against a team like UL Monroe. But, you know, there, there's a possibility if we can put things together quickly um, with, with all these new schemes that, you know, the team could be 3-1 and one, um, heading into that Louisville game. Uh, I mean, how do you see this thing shaping up? It seems like the difficult games are, are – Spaced out enough, except for a pretty brutal November, uh, for you guys to, I mean, surpass some expectations at least if you start hot. Yeah, uh, I think our 
Vegas uh, season over under is three and a half games. So ULM, I've seen us anywhere between a one to three point favorite. So, and, and you're right. In most seasons, you would start off with with a Gardner Webb at home, or you would play ULM at home. We played ULM at home last year, and unfortunately, well, we we lost that game. Um, but that, that that's going to be a big test for us. A true freshman on a, on a Thursday night, um, and I'm very excited for it. I know it sounds dumb to say I'm excited for a road game against Louisiana Monroe, but uh, I I am. And then Gardner Webb, that'll and that should be a win. If it's not a win, well, we don't have to talk about the rest of the games because we're going to be awful. Uh, Utah State underrated program. They they could easily beat Tennessee this year. It's really hard for me to imagine us winning there. And then Army, uh, we should beat them at home. We beat them on the road last year. So uh, you're right. I mean, we have the schedule set up to, that we could easily be three and one. Could go one and three. That's that's certainly possible. And then road trips to Louisville and Florida State. Well. Uh, Louisville's almost an automatic loss. Florida State definitely is. So you're probably talking best case three of three after that. But um, you know, then we have a bye week, and then we have you guys, and then BC at home. And uh, we actually don't leave the state of North Carolina after a- after that. I mean, then we we host Clemson on a Thursday, and uh, we have I'm trying to think. Then we have a road game at NC State, then host Virginia Tech, then close it off with a uh, road game at, at Duke. So the thing I like about our schedule is we sort of get time to get better. Uh, we have a bye week before Syracuse and BC, and I'm not saying we'll win those games, um, but those are certain, and, you know, I don't even know if we'll be favored, but um, those are certainly winnable games for us, and they're obviously very winnable games for Syracuse and Boston College as well. And then, you know, come November, we we could we could easily win at NC State. Again, we'll probably be dogs. Um, and then, you know, I think we could win at Duke. I, I think Duke's overrated. Um, and, and I think we have a chance now. But they'll certainly be favored. But last game of the year, and I expect us to get better every week based on uh, the improvement I've seen since since April and really since August 1st, um, I, I think we can we can beat them there. So it'll be an interesting season. Um, and, and you're right, it's... I'm just curious to see how it plays out. You know, you brought up an interesting point there. Um, when you think about it overall, I mean, yeah, you guys are, you guys in the last six weeks of the season um, in, in the state of North Carolina, which is actually, you know, pretty surprising. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call favoritism, obviously. Um, but, but very, very interesting um, setup for you guys, especially knowing, um, what some teams have to do at the end, you know, also particularly we're on the road for our final two um, and, and have a bye, uh, you know, right before those final two road games. Uh, so I, I'd say overall it, it is a very, again, it, it's an interesting slate. Like to, to not really leave leave your the, the cozy confines of your state after after October 18th, I think that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty nice setup. Um, I mean, what are I, you brought up Utah State and think that's a good one. What are you a little ticked off for, from a fan standpoint that that games like UL Monroe and Utah State are both on the road? Is this is this weird for you guys? Is this something that that really you're you're typically against? I know we were kind of ticked off about 
having to travel to Central Michigan this year. But I mean, the trip to Utah uh, could be a little unforgiving for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm upset about it for for a number of reasons. Um, to me, there's obviously you'd like seven home games um, for recruiting for for attend. I mean, for for a number of reasons. But you know, taking that out, even if you were going to assume six six home games, six road games, um, I don't know why you'd ever schedule Utah State. On, on the road. I mean, there's there's zero benefit for us. Do what NC State does and schedule a team like Troy, or you know, even even ULM. Okay, ULM is in the Sun Belt. They're they're a winnable game. We should have won last year. We're favored to win this year. And Louisiana is at least a state where recruits, you know, some recruits come from. Obviously, LSU is going to dominate that state. We're not going to beat LSU for recruiting. Um, so, but it, it's possible we could use that as a Hey, we're going to play a game in your home state, or but you know to go to Utah. I mean, I, I think I was looking like five kids born in the state of Utah or played high school in the state of Utah have gone on to the NFL over I don't who have been drafted in the NFL over the last like twenty years or something like that. So I mean, to me, there is zero benefit to playing Utah State, who's a very good team um, by mid major you know standards. So I, I, I'm just frustrated. It's just it's a no-win situation for us, um, and it's, it's it's just puzzling and a, a very bad move by our athletic director, in my opinion. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I I, I think that you know scheduling for where you uh, you know where you recruit is a pretty big deal, um, and we found you know ourselves as a it's a program that does seem to overschedule ourselves into a hole, and we've done it plenty of times in recent years. Uh, games at Missouri, at Northwestern, at Minnesota. Um, we have a game coming up next year. Well, we have a game coming up next year where LSU visits. Um, yeah, what do you think about that series? I Are you guys – I mean, I, I saw that and said, what are they thinking? I mean, no offense. No, believe me, this is uh, this is part of the course for us. I mean, we, we schedule a home-and-home with, with – uh, with USC, at one point we had a series with Texas that we canceled. Uh, we had Virginia Tech on this way for a home and home when we were in the middle of, you know, one of our kind of darkest hours as a program. So, so this isn't our first uh, first rodeo in terms of uh, killing ourselves schedule wise. My only issue, like if we recruited Louisiana, I, I'd say that we uh, that this was a good call. But the fact that it, the fact that we don't um, really at all. Is, is kind of puzzling to me. Um, I'm, I'm excited about it in some other ways. I'll, I'll definitely be – I've already been talking to my, uh, my roommates back when I was at SDU. Uh, we were talking about going out of Baton Rouge. But at the same time, there's just there, – there's little benefit to getting completely stomped out on, on national television, in, in my opinion. And, and considering the – the fact that we've been recruiting so well in in the Atlanta and Miami areas of late, we know they're not forced a lot of four star guys, but we're getting in conversations with four stars, and we're, we're taking in a ton of threes. Um, I think for us, we'd be much better served facing you know FIU, FAU, um, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, like those types, uh, and getting ourselves nice wins. Absolutely. I mean, you can you know you can schedule. Two, two foreign home games. You might go down there and you get two home games out of it, which 
would hopefully result in you know three total wins. I, I'm all with I'm with you 100 percent there. Yeah, I mean to me it just seems you know we saw last year you get 11 teams into bowl games um, it speaks volumes. Um, and and at the end of the day, if you finish five and seven, if you had a tough schedule, no one really cares. Like you still finish five and seven, you're still not going to the postseason. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're in the if you're in the ACC championship conversation and you're in a playoff conversation, then absolutely, you know, you can, you, you should make sure you have one of those games on there um, to to use as a strength of schedule bargaining chip. But otherwise, yeah, if, if you're if you're a, a Wake Forest or Syracuse or Boston College or, or Pitt, there's there's very little advantage to, to scheduling a tough opponent, especially one that's outside your traditional recruiting area. Oh, I'm with you. Should I mean you should you should schedule cupcakes and set up to go at least three and one um, out of conference, and then all you have to do is go, you know, three and five in, in your conference and and you're bowling. I mean that that should that should be you know programs like Wakes and and, and Syracuse's and Boston College's goal. I mean they should use strategic schedule. But unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately we're not athletic directors. Uh, and our athletic departments are going to continue to do these sorts of things. Um, I mean, if you win the games, I guess it's great. Um, but if you lose, obviously, it's not exactly ideal. Um, so I guess wrapping up, uh, is there anything else uh, that you had in mind for for Wake? Do you have any uh, any other thoughts on, on the Syracuse-Wake matchup down in Winston-Salem? Any other tips for those visiting? I'm sure we'll be... So the two blogs will be exchanging plenty of info um, in advance, but, but at least some, some last preseason thoughts about, about what that matchup might yield. Not many thoughts other than I, I think, um, especially looking at the – I know you guys are talking about a 9-3 season o- over on your blog and, you know, looking through Bill Connolly's estimation preview of your team. Uh, certainly a lot of experience, and that could certainly happen. So, um, I, I guess I'm offending you guys a little bit if I say it's a big game for bowl eligibility for both teams and maybe overrating my own team when I'm saying that. But I think, you know, it, last year was especially the case. I mean, last year it was a huge game, sort of a turning point game for bowl eligibility. And, and, and you guys won and you, you won your bowl game. And I, I, I believe you won it when you guys did a fantastic job uh, raising a lot of money for uh, kids to be able to go to a bowl game. Well, thanks. I'm glad that I, I am glad overall that uh, I mean I'm glad we won the bowl game, but I am also very glad that we were able to bring um, some kids there. I know we're also doing uh, some similar stuff this year um, for games as well. So I think you know for the most part the, the wins are nice, but I do think that the blog and our program getting involved in, in, in charity work is also you know a, a really rewarding thing for me as someone who, who lives on the site, and I think it's rewarding for a lot of Syracuse fans. And I hope you know I, I hope it does encourage a lot of other uh, a lot of other fan bases to get involved in things like this. I know you guys um, have your own uh, thing that you guys do with BC. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great charity work done around college football, and and because of social media, I think we get to see so much of it now. Because um, I, I do think that the college football community really is, is a very giving group, um, and and they're ones that are they're very underrated in terms of there's a charity in terms of how much they care. I mean, everyone just kind of you know, paints college football diehards as, as, as very kind of self and team centric and all about food and beer every Saturday. But I think we did. there's a lot more depth to us, and I think that that's uh, that's starting to come through. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's an, um, it, you're absolutely right about social media. I mean, so many of us are able to connect a lot easier now and, and really so many more great ideas and great stories get shared, and really that helps. Uh, I mean, it, it really helps the charities because so many people were made aware of uh, what you guys were doing and more kids were able to help, were able to um, be helped out in the process. Great. Right. I guess uh, I guess it's a good place to wrap it up. Um, I do appreciate you coming on today, Robert. Really, really, uh, really great to get that insight. And I know for us, um, Dan Lyons and I usually will talk through these teams, but when we can have somebody on from another blog, it's always good to get to get a much better, uh, you know, insider's view on everything. I'm happy to do it. Hopefully, I wasn't um, a little too a little too biased. I guess we'll we'll see um, in, in October how accurate my um, sort of observations have been. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Um, for those listening, that was Robert Reinhard. You can follow him at Robert underscore Reinhard on Twitter. Uh, you can also check out everything he writes over on bloggersodear.com, SB Nation Wake Forest site. Um, I'm your host, John Catillo. Please be sure to uh, rate and download the podcast. Give it a five. Be nice. Uh, we try to do good things here most of the time. Um, and everyone enjoy college football season this weekend. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.